Our scripture reading today is 1 Samuel chapter 13, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 8. And this begins a new sermon series for us. It's Wayland's sermon series. Not, not in the terms in which I preach it, although it will be that way, but it is my sermon series because this is what I want for my life. And this is who I want to become. I want to please God. And I want to have a heart for God. And by that I mean I want it to come from deep inside me, a heart that pleases God. You and I, we, we'll talk about this as we go along. We, we use that word in a lot of ways. We talk about somebody having a good heart. We're talking about what's deep inside them. And while the Bible can talk about the heart, meaning the mind and the will and the emotions, in most cases that we use it, it simply describes what is deep inside of us. So I want this to be my goal and I want to invite you to come alongside and walk with me and ask God to make you what he wants you to be. So today we're going to ask the question, what pleases God? Because we need to know that if we're going to say, I want to please God, then we need to know what pleases God and what matters to him. So we will be looking at some positive examples. We'll be looking at some specific passages of Scripture, and we'll look at some negative examples because sometimes we learn the most when we see what we're not to be. And the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today is 1 Samuel chapter 13, that describes Saul and shows us from a negative point of view what we don't want to be. Now, here's the story behind Saul. By the way, this is about 1,050 B.C., 3,000-plus years ago. About 1,050 B.C. Israel has never had a king before, and Saul is their first king. The people want a king, demand a king, ask God for a king. God gives them Saul. Samuel anointed him as king. But Saul was not the guy. He just wasn't the guy. And all you have to do is read a little bit, and you understand he's not the guy. And you read, I would, by the way, read 1 Samuel, what is it, 29 or 30 chapters they are fascinating. They are powerful. They are gripping because you get to see David and you get to see Samuel, you get to see Saul. You get to see right and wrong. So Saul is leading the people of Israel in battle. By the way, he looked like a king, head and shoulders above everybody else. Everybody just knew this guy has to be the man. So he's leading in battle, and Samuel says, 
I'm going to be gone, and in a week I'll be back, and then we'll make an offering to the Lord. Don't do anything until I get back. And this shows Saul, because Saul let his fear, his panic, his anxiety get the best of him, and he disobeyed Samuel, disobeyed the Lord. Please follow along as I read. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking in fear before the army of the Philistines. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Boy, you read this, and in one sense you say, doesn't it always happen this way? Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to meet him. What have you done? Samuel asked. Saul replied, well, when I saw that the men were scattering, and, and when I saw that you didn't come at the appointed time, and that the Philistines were assembling their troops at Mishmach, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I haven't sought the favor of the Lord. Listen to these words. So I felt compelled. I just had to. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. I don't know if you ever think about the English language. I, I use the English language all the time. Every now and then people will say about I, I talk all the time, it seems to me. I sure preach a lot, and I love doing that, but I'm always thinking about the English language, and I'm always thinking about how hard it is. If you are a non-English speaker, the English language is really hard. By the way, we have a class meets on Sunday afternoons, English as a second language. Uh, we're starting the new semester over again. Last semester, we had 14 nations represented and a lot of our people volunteering and showing forth the love of God and testifying of what God has done in their lives. It's a great ministry. Well, English is hard. It's hard because we keep inventing all of these new words and phrases, and we take old words and give them new meanings. So you're never quite sure, what am I saying when I say this? And if you're kind of out of the loop on social media, you may be saying something you really didn't intend to say. One of those new little phrases over the last six months or a year is to ask a question. And the question is, 
is that a thing? And it applies to most everything. Is that really true? Is that something everybody is doing? Like you come to church and you say, we were at church and man, there are a lot of people there and, and, and they are genuine and concerned. And maybe the, the person who doesn't go to church would say, is that a thing? Is it something people do? Is it popular? Is it meaningful? Maybe with the whole idea of pleasing God with your life, I can't imagine non-Christian people thinking that's a thing. Maybe they would say, is that a thing? Maybe you and I would say, is that a thing? Does that matter? Is it important? And the answer is very much, yes, it's important. It matters. It's a thing. So what does please God? And if you would join me in my quest to please God, what would that look like in your life? Well, let me tell you what it wouldn't look like. It wouldn't look like 10 things that you can't do. It would mean very much who you are on the inside and how you relate to God. And yes, there will be things that you don't do but it'll be because of what God is doing inside of you that matters. So let's take a look at the life of Saul and let's ask the question, what does please God? And let's look at it from the life and the experience of Saul. Five things that I want to give you. The first one is this. You please God when you take God seriously. And I want to tell you, Thinking about God one hour a day is good, but it's really not taking God seriously. Taking God seriously is when we put him where he belongs, which is on the throne of our lives, which is on the throne of the universe. When we see him as he really is, we take God seriously. When you look at this passage of Scripture, I think there is no way you can say that Saul took God seriously. Saul took the Philistine army seriously. Saul took his leadership ability seriously. After all, his men were scattering. That has to tell you something about Saul's leadership. His men were scattering. The army was, was losing its morale. They had decided we can't defeat the Philistines, and they were scattering. Saul took those things seriously, but he didn't take the command of God seriously. He didn't take the prophet of God seriously. He didn't really believe that God was in charge. So what does he say? Well, I, I looked, and... My men were leaving, and Samuel, you didn't show up. You said you'd come back. You didn't come back. You ever blame other people for what you get wrong? Saul was blaming God, and he was blaming Samuel. And you know what else? He was blaming his men. 
He was blaming the guys who were fighting with him and fighting for him. They were scattering. The Philistines are getting stronger. Samuel didn't show up on time. I thought, I've got to do something. You ever hear somebody say, I'm going to do something even if it's wrong? Well, Saul is the poster child for that way of thinking. I've got to do something. I thought something's got to happen. I'm going to do something. And then of all things, he said, I felt compelled. But it wasn't because he spent time in prayer. It wasn't because he looked at the law of Scripture. Just, I just felt compelled. I had to do something. Man, I've been there, haven't you? Panicky, fearful. Somebody needs to do something. It's time. And so that's what Saul did. But he treated God like a good luck charm. He treated God like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, that's not who God is, but we use him that way sometimes, and, and we live that way sometimes. And when something really bad happens, God, I need you. You're to be... Here's the way we think of God. Remember when way back at the beginning of the technological revolution, remember you had pagers. Kind of worked like my iPhone, my iWatch does. It'll vibrate when something's happening. And so you look at it, and that's the way a pager did. It would vibrate. And all that you got, I never had a pager, but all that you got was a number to call back. You know what the call was about? Man, wouldn't the scammers make your life miserable today? You'd be getting numbers to call all the time. Well, that's the way we, we think of God. God, we want you to be on call. When, when I give the number, God, you're supposed to answer. You're supposed to call me back. You're supposed to do what you want, I want you to do. But that's not taking God seriously. Saul wanted to make God, in fact, Saul did this. Saul went to a medium one time, a palm reader, a tarot card reader. They didn't have them, I don't think. They had everything else, but, and that's the way we do with God. Do you realize in the Bible, in the law of the scripture, that those things are expressly forbidden to go to a medium? to worship the dead, to try to conjure up the dead, to, to go to a tarot card reader. Those things are expressly forbidden. And we, and they're not taking God seriously. Because if I go to a medium, if I go to a, on the outside skirts of town where there's a big palm up and I go to a palm reader, what am I doing? I'm leaving God out. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit out. I'm leaving all of Scripture out. I don't need these things. I don't need prayer. I don't need God. I've got a palm reader. Why would I go to God? That's what we're saying. And that's what Saul was doing. Saul was not taking God seriously, but to please God is to take him seriously. 
A second way we please God is when we seek him for guidance. God, show me your way. Show me what you want me to do. Here's an expression I use. I I make it my definition for holiness. Holiness is doing everything God wants and nothing he doesn't want. And when we go to God for guidance, then we are taking God seriously and we're letting God be in control of our lives and we're letting him show us the way. I want to be a person of deep and personal prayer. And I want you to join me in the journey. We, we saw a little glimpse of that on, on January the 2nd. Remember Monday, that wonderful day in the year when football starts at 11 a.m. and ends about 11 p.m. It's a great day. And uh, I've always loved that day. And I spent all of that day in football. And Martha had spent all of that day with football with me. And that night, though, she decided that maybe there would be something else she would rather do. But remember, the Bills and the Bengals were playing. And it had all kinds of playoff ramifications. And it still has created those. If the Bills and the Chiefs play each other, then they got to go to a neutral field and they got to figure out where that is. And the Bills won the head to head, but apparently that doesn't count. So who knows? But I'm watching TV and I saw DeMar Hamlin make that tackle. Nothing remarkable about it. Maybe a lot of you have seen it, but most of you maybe haven't seen it because they replayed it one time, and then it was such a crushing blow, not the tackle, but such a crushing event that they didn't show it again, and I think they haven't been showing it. But I watched it in real time, and I watched the one replay where he made the tackle, made a good tackle, jumped up, stood for about two seconds and was facing this way and completely fell flat of his back. And I watched for the next four or five minutes when we didn't know what they were doing. We learned that they were doing CPR on the, on the 24-year-old. We, we watched in horror, and the Bills and the Bengals watched in horror as they as they intubated him on the field. And here's what I did. I saw the reaction of the Bills particularly, and Josh Allen specifically, and I came to the conclusion that he had died. And I walked into where Martha was, and I said, Martha, this is awful. I said, they haven't said anything, I said, but from every reaction I saw, for whatever reason, he has died on the field. Well, you know, yesterday, Damar Hamlin went to the Bills facility. And amazing, truly amazing. Here's the part I want you to see. What did we see? We saw people praying. People all over the country praying. 
People on Twitter talking about prayer. Dan Orlovsky, who is a commentator for ESPN with three other people, I think Marcus Spears from LSU was one of them and a, and a, and a female was, who was in the group. He said, I don't know if this is okay or not. I don't know if anybody cares or not, but I'm going to pray. And on the air, he prayed. And it was beautiful. And I remember whoever it was, if it was Marcus Spears, he said, you ought to pray. And they did pray. But here's what I want in my life. Here's what I want for us. I want prayer to be more than an emergency. I want prayer to be the depths of our being and of our hearts to go to God and to live for God and to, and to call upon him and let him be our guidance and our, our leader every minute of every day and that we are deep before God in prayer and we seek him with all of our hearts. One of the verses that we'll look at, seek the Lord with all of your heart. That great passage in, in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We please God when we seek his guidance. We please God when we live as his child, when we live as his servant. Whatever you can say about Saul, you can't say he is a servant of God. You can't say that he saw God as his father. And for, for reality, of course, the Hebrew people didn't see God as their father until Jesus revealed the father to us. And in his great revelation, we see that we are the children of God. But every Hebrew knew that they had been chosen of God, and every Hebrew knew that God had created the earth, and every Hebrew knew that they belonged to God. But Saul didn't live that way. You please God when you do live, live, live that way, and you let God be in control of your life, and you pray as Jesus did, Father, and when you live as a servant of God, I love the, the testimony of all three guys this morning, but a bunch of phrases jumped out, and one of them about being a servant. Scott said, you, nobody's qualified, but if you think that you aren't qualified, just be a servant. Just be a slave. Just be the person who says, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I love this little phrase, not in Scripture. Uh, it's all made up on my part. When that happens, God smiles because he sees you and me. He recognizes how unqualified we are. He recognizes how rebellious we've been, how selfish we've been at times. And when he sees us desiring and wanting to please him, it makes God smile. How do you please God? You please God when you respect him and respect his blessing. Notice what Samuel said. Samuel said, Saul, you, you've, you've, you've disobeyed God. You've done your own thing. You've lived selfishly. And because that, 
You haven't respected God and haven't respected his blessing. And that which God wanted to bless you with, he wanted to make you a dynasty. Not only would you be king, but Jonathan, your son, would be king after you and his son after him. And all through the line, he was going to establish you. But Saul, you didn't respect that. And you didn't respect God. You see, this is what I want to make myself do and what I want to ask you to do. Do I really respect God? Do I really put him first? Do I really honor him with all of my heart and all of my soul? And do I, do I lean on his understanding? To respect God is to follow his word, to ask his direction to respect what he's given us as opportunities to do and to do our best for God. When you please God, and I think this is the, the heart of it, I think that every child here could have picked this out beautifully and maybe better than, than most adults, that we could say that when you please God, you obey him completely, even when you don't understand, even when you don't see how all of it's going to work out, because we can all see where Saul was. In fact, many commentators in the scripture, they take Saul's side in this. Well, of course, Saul had to do something. His army was leaving and Samuel wasn't showing up and I've got to do something. So Saul says, I knew I hadn't sought the favor of the Lord. Here's a little fun fact. Uh, that phrase, not only is English hard, but Hebrew's hard too. They have funny little idioms. And here's an idiom. Saul said, I haven't stroked the face of God. I haven't sought his favor. And it's a way of describing, looking for the favor of God and getting God on your side. And that was Saul's problem. He wanted God on his side. He didn't want to be on God's side. He wanted God to do for him he didn't want to do for God. He wanted to use God instead of letting God use him. We please God when we obey him completely, even when we don't understand it, even when it hurts us. My grandfather uh, passed away a long time ago. I had his funeral. It was a great man of God. I read Psalm 15. Uh, Psalm 15 begins with a question, who shall stand in the presence of God? I mean, that's a great question, isn't it? Who shall stand in the presence of God? And one of the answers was, he who swears to his own hurt and doesn't give a bribe or take a bribe. That's what God wants us to do, to be obedient even when we wonder, is this any good for me? Even when we wonder, what is God doing? Even when we wonder, what's going to be the result? Here's what I want to ask you to do today.
want to ask you to join me in saying to God, God, I want to please you. I want to make you smile. I want to live for you and do what you want me to do. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you pray that? In just a moment, I'm going to pray aloud, and here's what I want you to do. Don't listen to my prayer. I'm going to make it very personal talking to God. But would you pray to God at the same time and say, God, I really do want to please you? And then would you pray in this way? And this is the way I pray. God, I can't do this. I've tried all of my life to do this. I can't do it. It's an impossibility. But I know that you can do this through me. So would you do this through me? So would you pray? Would you stand with me now? And I'm going to pray, but would you pray? And after you've prayed and the music begins, I would encourage you to come here to pray, pray with the pastor, confess your faith in Christ. I want to live for God. I want to honor him. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make my prayer personal to God, and I pray that you would do the same. Lord Jesus, I want to tell you that I love you. And I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for saving me and calling me to preach and giving me this tremendous blessing of speaking your word to the people, to your people. God, I want to please you, but I need you to work in me to do in me what I can't do. So God, would you bless me and your church and your people? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come now as we sing?